you're looking to change things up in your classroom. You'd like to see more student participation and interest, or you really need a better way to tap into each student's individual abilities. Maybe you're happy with everything in your classroom and you're just that teacher who will stop at nothing to provide the very best opportunities for your students so you're always open to hear more good news. Well, let me personally welcome you to the Student-Centered Science Teacher Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Carosis. I'm a secondary science teacher with 11 years experience teaching at-risk students in a distance learning cyber model. And yet, I've realized success in my efforts to plan for and execute student-centered learning. See, I believe that a science teacher's job goes beyond transferring specific content knowledge. Rather, I believe our duty is to prepare students for life beyond our walls, to help develop them into informed, active members of society who can confidently make all kinds of decisions. So on this podcast, our discussions will focus on strategies to promote active learning in the classroom and their outcomes, as well as creating and nurturing a culture that enables students to take ownership of their learning by planning next steps and implementing our feedback. Here, we believe that our classrooms are learning laboratories, not just for students, but also for teachers. You'll always get encouragement to keep on experimenting because what you do and how you do it matters. Let's jump into today's topic. Hello, hello. You know, as I pondered what I'd share in this episode, there were so many different directions I could choose to go. We just finished a six-week series on my five-element framework for providing scientific method skill practice while still teaching standard-based content in a way that allowed students to uncover main ideas and concepts instead of us covering it for them. I've added all of those podcast episodes as links to that complete PDF guide I've offered you. That one where it'll teach you or advise you or guide you through planning your student-centered science classroom using the lab in every lesson framework. Remember, you can get that guide from my website at www.labineverylesson.com forward slash the number five elements. So that's five elements. Of course, you have to submit your email address to do that. As an added bonus, when you share your email with me, you'll also get added to my email list. And I promise not to overwhelm your inbox. I have not yet sent a single email to my email list. Because if you're anything like me, you do have to keep clearing it out like all day. I will literally get like 100 a day if I don't stay on top of it. There's just so much marketing that comes through. I have an email actually just dedicated to marketing stuff. But for me, each time I publish new lessons and notebooks for sale, those that aren't already on TPT... I'll be able to let you know directly so you can get them at a reduced price for a short period of time before they're posted to TPT at the regular prices. So when you're on my email list, you get first dibs and a discount. And if you're not interested in my lesson resource, that's totally cool too. I'd still love to be able to connect with you from time to time. Like when I want to talk about how to take student-centered learning virtual. That's our topic today. I'd really love to keep this podcast very evergreen and have it be a complete useful resource 
for any teacher whenever they find their way here. But as I record this, we're coming upon a new school year, one with lots and lots of controversy on the national stage. One that you thought might have been more relaxed and more normal. One that you, probably like me, thought would bring with it a bit more stability as we're recovering from the alpha COVID-19. But the reality is that providing in-person instruction to our students across the country continues to spark debate. It's entirely possible, if not likely, that you'll start the season in your classroom, physical classroom, but take one or more virtual vacations from it. Or maybe you're returning to that blended format with a few days in person and a few days virtual for select cohorts of students. Maybe in person isn't in even an option where you are and you already know you'll be rocking it on Zoom again this year. Last weekend, my sister-in-law, who is a high school music teacher in a public school here in Pennsylvania, she was visiting because we had a little family backyard camp out. We, what did we do? Oh, first they just played in the pop-up pool. Um, we had like seven or eight kids under the age of eight or uh, yeah, eight or nine, uh, a couple sets of twins. It was a really good time. We, we slept outside. We watched a movie out on a big projector. We toasted some marshmallows really probably the high point of the summer for us. But in talking together about what school would look like this year, my sister-in-law noted that even though the intentions for her school are all completely in person, the expectation exists for teachers in her school to maintain their virtual space. For her, she needs to have a duplicate of every lesson she teaches in her learning management system, Schoolology, to accommodate students who might be absent due to ongoing quarantine efforts at the very least. You know, we all know precedents have been set and anything can happen. So given that we're in the planning season for all that's to come this September, and for most of us, I do realize that some of our Southern State teacher friends already started school as early as August 1st. And God bless you all going to school in the August heat. I can't imagine why they do that to you. But I want to acknowledge this part of your job that you've learned through necessity the past year or two. The part that requires you to be prepared and ready with materials for virtual instruction no matter how school starts for you. Part of the reason the cyber charter school I work for exists is to provide flexibility to students and families who require it. In some circumstances, that flexibility is earned as a reward for good academic behavior. Now, by flexibility, I do mean the ability to learn on their own the way they choose. That may mean they don't attend my live virtual meeting room. It may mean they choose to watch an archived recording at some other point in time or sometimes not interact with instruction at all. If they'd rather work through the text provi provided in a virtual textbook or by our curriculum provider in our learning management system, and they're able to realize their academic goals in doing that, it's perfectly okay. I would not say it's encouraged by any of our staff, but it certainly happens and it's part in, built into our school policies. So for so many years, I struggled 
badly with the notion that this was a really, really bad practice. I thought to myself, how can I be held accountable to teaching these students when I never, ever see their work in class? I mean, some of these students will never answer an email or pick up a phone call. It's a reality that I've been a student teacher for an entire school year, but never really interacted with him or her at all. Now listen, just pause for a moment. Did you see what I said there? I thought to myself, how can I be held accountable to teaching these students when I never ever see their work in class? Folks, even now, when I'm two years seasoned at student-centered learning, I still can recall the days where everything about what I did was about me. (laughs) Even with regard to my asynchronous students, because I wasn't performing for them at all, I couldn't look to myself and say, what's wrong with my performance? I'm saying, why are you making me do this? How could I be their teacher if I'm not really their teacher? I really wasn't focusing on what they were missing from the process. So, you know, keep that. Put a pin in that because that's the essence of student-centered is to think about them and only them and their experience and that you are the conduit to that. So because this is the student-centered science teacher podcast, I always want to point out the real student-centered elements of this. Anyway, I digress. I'm good at that. At the time that I was struggling with these ideas, all the assignments provided with by our virtual curriculum provider were automated. And many of those assignments were multiple choice based with very little opportunity for written expression. The depth of knowledge required to master them was definitely not high. So when I decided to make the switch to student-centered learning for my students, I didn't immediately discount these students and their experience in my class, the equity they deserved. I was about to provide rich, multifaceted, scientific method-based activities into daily lesson plans. I feared that these students, without also completing the same activities, would no longer be able to simply watch recordings and understand concepts to demonstrate mastery on assessments. And my professional goals as part of this whole rollout was to collect artifacts of their learning from every single student and increase rigor. You remember that 60% mindset, right? So if I didn't find a practical way to encourage that among my asynchronous students, I would fail in that endeavor and I don't like to fail. (laughs) I am all about excellence and growth, not shrinking back. So I set out to find a way to bring those students who may want nothing at all to do with formal structured class time or 50-minute recordings, a quality learning experience. That leads me to book widgets, where I fell in love. Now, let me say up front, for those of you listening who might run to your computer, because like I do this, I listen to podcasts on things, especially as I'm building up my business here, and I run to my computer and I look up whatever they're talking about. So if you're one of those people who's going to run to your computer, you're going to look up book widgets and sign up for their free 30-day trial, I'm going to just warn you, I personally don't feel it's an incredibly intuitive tool to use. In my opinion, it is amazingly versatile. 
and powerful, but intuitive, not so much. Of course, I was trying to rewrite a year's worth of lesson plans at the same time I was trying to program these learning resources, and it's entirely possible I wasn't focused enough for the effort to be painless. My initial work was definitely not pretty. I think it's pretty pretty now, but it was not pretty then. It was functional, and that's what we need, right? So I also want to let you know at this point, I have written about book widgets on my blog and provided a host of visuals in in one particular post called Book Widgets is the Best, because that's really what I think about it. Um, And and there, there's a few long-winded tutorial videos too, because I talk and talk and talk, and without a script to follow, I really go on forever. But for the remainder of this podcast, I'm going to just hit on a few of the high points about book widgets and, as per usual, describe my own experience with integrating my content into this interactive learning tool. So if you haven't listened to the five element framework series, um, you may not realize how I am trying to link up my own experience with pretty much everything I share with you. And I do that purposefully. If it annoys you, I'm sorry, it's going to keep popping up. And it's not to sell you. I totally am aware when even when I write the copy for this that I know it's going to maybe sound that way. But it's really not. As as a teacher who's endured professional development in my school district for 11 years, I can confidently say that ideas are great. But unless you're told or shown how to do them, how to implement them, examples of their use. They're really useless because to do that yourself really requires some very focused attention and a lot of time sometimes. And so that's part of my initiative here on this podcast is to show you what I think and what I feel, what I have found, but also how I use it. So... (laughs) Using book widgets, I duplicated my interactive chemistry lesson content. That's right. I'd create two windows on my screen and mirror the PowerPoint lesson I'd prepared for delivery in a more linear web form, web page-like structure in book widgets and with an asynchronous student's perspective in mind. By that, I mean when a student opened this web page and... They are links. You know, I would share a link with my students. It's a place on the web. I wanted them to feel that they were there with me in class, even if they really weren't. They were taking the reins of learning rather than allowing me to usher them through it, per se. So where in class, I always begin with a review and preview as my warm-up while students arrive and get settled. I begin the book widget lesson with the learning intentions and success criteria. Remember, today I will learn about XYZ so I can ABC. (laughs) And I will know that I've been successful when this outcome happens. That sets the stage for them for what's to come. And, you know, again, this is just my experience knowing that some of these students will not open the class recording They will not talk with me. They're just going to see this screen. So only then I present the review and preview as a means of activating and integrating their prior knowledge, hoping that they will see some sort of connection there. 
Now, when you consider that these students complete these activities daily, know that they have amassed a library of their work. You know, we're talking 180 school days. I don't know how many of them are just nonsense. Not, it seems like a lot are non-lesson days. You know, you take tests and you do practice this or that. And, but every learning day, they have this record of their work to do. So completing a review and preview might be facilitated by their downloaded printed out version of another lesson, the prior lesson they completed and stored in their binder maybe yesterday or last week. And that's one thing I love about book widgets. It gives them a record in addition to us if we want one. So in the structure of this um, web form, this book widget, after review and preview, I always provide a word wall. Well, I try to always provide a word wall. That's not something I included in my five element framework because it's not necessarily in every lesson feature, but it is often included. Now in this section, I share, I either share with them terms and definitions they'll need to know before continuing on to the learning experience because sometimes that's the case they can't you know execute a task without understanding the terminology but more often I share with them just the terms without definitions and alert them in the text so the fact that the lesson the learning experience will allow them to uncover the meaning of those terms and define them as goals of the lesson it's here that I always provide a link to a free virtual textbook also that I rely on uh, that I rely on should students need to revisit concepts or if they just want to feel more comfortable with the lesson by looking up those terms at this point. You know, oftentimes many students who are allowed in my school to be asynchronous have a very very good academic record. Sometimes they are all straight A's and some of them get very nervous at the idea of completing an assignment and not being perfect. Um, you know, in that whole unsettled uncovering process that I've chosen to do in my classroom. And because they are not with me to constantly get that praise and that affirmation, they sometimes, you know, can take, can take the emotional hit there a little bit. So I always want them to feel like they can go somewhere and it's totally okay and it's completely part of the learning process for them to refer. And it's part of the scientific process too, right? Because we're always trying to mimic a scientist's process here to look up what's known and see if we can use that to to leverage what's not known okay then my students connect to technology provided through the learning experience so there's like web links and stuff in there and they enter their observations or data into tables or as annotations to image images there's a whole slew of stuff they can do then they're prompted with questions that require data-dependent analysis, which is the fourth of our five elements in the framework, and finish off with skill practice. Dramatic pause. <laughs> they go through the exact same experience of learning as my in-person students. They just don't have me there talking to them and, and being that TV show host. What's to come and what's the outline and all of that. They're just doing it on their own. For my own students, I select an option in the programming of the web page, in the book widget itself, that does not allow students to know whether or not their answers are correct immediately. Programming it this way allows me to get a more authentic perspective of what they really did or didn't learn and what they can or cannot do by the time they reach skill practice, since skill practice is often multiple choice based questioning. 
And if they were to select an answer and immediately tells them, you know, they don't see the green check, then they go, oh, I'll select another answer. And, and then they're just after the correct answer. I want to avoid that. But in the digital notebooks I sell, I do set them to show correct answers immediately as green checks and green text, especially considering how my teachers might be using these products in this very strange time in education with all the different learning environments. I do that with the students in mind because it can be very frustrating for students to be away from their teachers if they did not choose that. Uh, and to not have that reinforcement, even if they're just clicking around for the correct answer, knowing that they were able to get there is affirming. All right, so that's why I made that decision. And until I hear some kickback on that, I'm going to leave it that way. With the premium version of my notebooks, teachers are able to adjust those settings like that themselves. So if you're thinking, man, this content's awesome, this platform's great, but I hate that answer key thing, you have the ability to change that. Now, hold the phone. I didn't actually mention that I call them digital interactive notebooks, did I? I didn't really know what to call them when I shared them with my students or with the teacher pay teacher world. They are digital, they are interactive, and they are notebooks. So that name seemed to fit the bill quite nicely. But prior to becoming a TPT seller, I admittedly had never heard of an interactive notebook or a digital interactive notebook. So if you're out there thinking, this is not what a digital interactive notebook is, I sincerely apologize. Please send me a better name for them. I would love that. And, you know, as I'm talking about the naming and stuff here, you can remember, get a peek at a digital interactive notebook. You can get yourself that free 30-day trial at Book Widgets and grab my free premium digital interactive notebook. Both of those are um, on the isotope lesson topic. You can find them as featured items in my Teacher Pay Teacher store, or they are also in the free category, free product category of the store that is on my website at labandeverylesson.com forward slash shop. Okay, I started with book widgets because the tool seemed to satisfy my needs. I mean, I don't, can't tell you how I stumbled on it. I probably did days and days and days and nights and nights and nights worth of internet research looking for interactive student lessons. <laughs> now, I stayed with book widgets because it provides tremendous versatility. Pretty much anything I would ask my students to show or do during class with me, I'm able to have them show or do virtually, asynchronously, completely on their own. Some activities I rely on heavily be include basic multiple choice questioning and open-ended questioning, but also things like rearranging, classifying, ordering, matching, and all of those things can be done with either text or pictures or a combination, a hybrid text and pictures, matching, ordering, classifying. Things like completing data tables, central to so many of my lessons because we're talking science here and my learning experiences are highly observation oriented and lots of data is collected. Sometimes data is just observations too, right? So however it makes sense for them to organize and present the table. Now they can't build the table, I build the table, just like I would in my PowerPoint slide, but um, they complete it, right? 
I have them annotate images. I have them balance chemical equations. There is a separate feature in book widgets just for that, which is amazing. And even typing out, writing out with a virtual pen, I guess, but mostly probably typing what can be sometimes complex stoichiometry calculations in a whiteboard space. And folks, the list goes on. I use primarily the worksheet widget. There's a lot of other widgets, but I use primarily the worksheet widget. And I think I've used nearly every question type listed among all of my digital notebooks. Some that I use less often include fill in the blank questions, dragging words into a sentence or into a paragraph from a word bank. You can even create distractors for your word bank. Question tables, rating questions, and there's even audio recording questions. So you want to talk about the ability to differentiate, to accommodate all sorts of different learning needs. You have students who struggle with literacy and reading, and you want to, you know, record something for them, or you want to ha have them practice their speech and their presentation of something. They can just record their voice, their, their actual explanation of something. I have created a whole semester review packet, if you can imagine a digital packet that is not pages upon pages upon pages of Word or PDF pages, but it's called this WebQuest feature. And it's really like a digital book with different pages and chapters and stuff. Um, I've used the split worksheet for largely for text-dependent analysis and the literacy-based initiatives my school admin has set forth recently. So split worksheet will allow you to put content on one side and questions on the other so students can continually refer to any visual resource like a text or a map or an object. Um, you know, and these often mimic what's going on in our state standardized tests. So that's a wonderful uh, feature as well. BookWidgets even offers the ability to create those notoriously fun, but in my opinion, maybe not so effective activities like crosswords, word finds, memory games, and jigsaw puzzles. My Atom and its Nucleus unit review was built using the bingo board, and that generates a unique bingo board for every student with answers I have included in the options. So that's really fun as well. You can even do stuff like that virtually, right? In my practice, I assigned these digital interactive notebooks to my asynchronous students, those who knew they would not attend my class live during the time which the class occurred. There are a few lessons that take me days to administer in person. And for those lessons, I require only a single notebook be submitted. So... I know that double displacement reactions takes me like three lesson periods in class. And I actually have three separate PowerPoint files for delivery for that lesson, but only one single notebook. Just because of the way my students work, um, and as I said, those asynchronous students usually approve to do that. They're usually brighter students. They usually can piece it together, and they don't necessarily need the three days. In fact, it just flows more easily for them. But for most lessons, my asynchronous students are completing these types of activities, these notebooks daily. And you may not have this population to worry about, or maybe you do. 
This provides an excellent option for your blended classrooms where you see certain cohorts of students on specific days. Those students not with you in person on given days can still complete the same work. And make no mistake, if they're tuned in via web while they're home, like watching on that webcam you have set up in your classroom, they can use this to follow right along with you. Downloading it allows them to keep a record of everything they've done. And if you want to keep that record like I do, they can submit it to you as a PDF, which is how I collect my student work. Well, how I used to anyway. Or they can print it and submit the hard copy when they see you, if they see you. Personally, I work this into my grading system. I require these as part of daily participation for those students who aren't working with me in real time. I call it an engagement score and it's worth three points per day. When you get a peek at one of these, you might swallow hard. I don't know (laughs) because three points per day, it's a lot of work. But the idea is, of course, if you're in class, you know, I am holding my in-class students to those three points per day too. They're just doing the work along with me in that 50-minute period. So I don't know. It really just probably depends on the perspective you have in looking at it. In my practice, the students who are mindful about their academic goals and desire to succeed love, love, love this addition to the curriculum. And I've heard nothing but praise. Because no other teacher in my school had produced anything like this just for that group before me. It was entirely new to our student body. Several students over the last two years have expressed their appreciation for what they viewed as focused attention on them and their unique needs, not being in a live classroom. So, you know, revisit that bulletin board where I said put a pin, put a pin in that idea of student-centered. When I decided to be student-centered and I recognized that it was essential for me to do it for all of my students with all of their unique needs, I found a solution especially for them and they recognized it. They felt the love. I don't know if everybody here has heard my initial, oh, my very first podcast was just horrible compared to what they are now and I'd love to re-record it but I just don't have the time you know in that episode I know I talked about my approach is not to love on students I didn't become a teacher so that I could love students and love working with students and I don't think that they're going to be better just because I love them but I firmly believe that You can be the light for them. And it's what I strive to do every day. And honestly, full disclosure, I pray. Lord, let me be a light to someone today. And I know that my students see my efforts and what I put forth to them. And they recognize that they are loved, that they are important. And it does nurture their self-esteem just in, you know, what you're able to plan for them. It is truly amazing. We probably don't give our teenagers enough, <laughs> enough, enough, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Their respect or, or something. They, they have some intense feelings too. Though they try so hard to hide them. But, of course, then there are others who just honestly abuse the privilege they've earned to be flexible. It's, 
natural, I guess, right? You give an inch, you take a mile. You give an inch, they take a mile. And they honestly have had students outright refuse to do this work. And their grades do suffer. I've had a few parents ask me about this practice. And when I explain my whys, they're almost kind of forced to agree with me. Because none of them are, (laughs) you just can't argue with any of them really. You know, first, there's this fact that I'm telling the parents I'm trying to provide equal equitable opportunities for every student. The fact that my instruction is centered on students doing is really important. And if they don't do it, they won't likely understand enough to earn those high scores. So just because for every other class, they can log into a system, read a few pages, and then complete a five-question like reflection check quiz and pass it, that might not be happening anymore, you know? And I don't, I didn't want to mislead anyone into thinking that was a possibility. And then finally, providing an ongoing participation grade in this way has leveraged the outcome for my students who are enrolled in the class because they needed a science credit and there were no other courses they could take. We don't have a career level college, uh, I'm sorry, a career level chemistry class. We don't have a chemistry in the community. We just have chemistry, honors chemistry and AP chemistry. So students who have no intention on attending college and should really not be in the college prep course, it helps them if they're going to show the effort. You know how we say an A for effort, right? Well, this truly can be. I've had students who, who show excellent effort and then they just can't connect it on the test, but they'll pass the course because their effort was worth something. Now, of course, like, as I mentioned, my live students are not neglected in any way. That's where this whole thing started for me. I collect and tally participation from them as well because they're working along with me and I do make them do the hard work of learning. So it's equal all the way around. Now in preparing and selling my chemistry curriculum online, this feature, these digital interactive notebooks, is one I couldn't ignore. Especially since I started my store just around the time alpha COVID hit. Isn't that sad that we have to say, no, it's a, you know, it's a different named COVID, alpha COVID. Teachers need a solution just like this. They need to know that just because a computer screen physically separates them and their students, that student-centered lesson design doesn't have to suffer. Hear me now. That's a limiting belief that can just go right out the window So if you're there going, "Uh uh-uh, girlfriend, it's not possible, I am just asserting you're wrong. You're wrong because it can be done. Will it be hard? Yes, ma'am and sir, it will be hard. But it is entirely, entirely doable. Can you also achieve the same sort of thing? Like maybe you're, th- you're like me, my mind wanders when I listen to a podcast. You know, I'm tuned in, but like half brain is listening and half brain is thinking. <laughs> so maybe you're thinking you can achieve this by uploading PowerPoint lessons to Google Classroom and having students complete those individually. Heck yes! But how easy will it be for students to keep that record of their learning? I mean, I know my slides are sometimes 30 pages long. 
And if I eliminate some of those pages in the sharing with them, the flow is all off. You know, while I try real hard to make my slides and the flow of my lessons discernible for another teacher, I'm not entirely sure a student would get it that same way. So the presentation I can achieve with book widgets is just unmatched in my opinion. I want to talk just briefly as I wrap up this topic on my product lines and how book widgets is worked into my chemistry curriculum. For each lesson, you'll find there's a basic digital interactive notebook that I sell and a premium digital interactive notebook that I sell. The basic notebook is nothing more than a link to an active worksheet online. You can open it yourself, post it anywhere you can share links, or send it as a link in email to your students. You would only be able to view students' work if they download it as a PDF and send it to you or print it out hard copy and submit it. And the visual download looks a lot different than the digital version. Did I say that right? Digital and visual sound the same. The visual download looks a lot different than the digital version. So speaking as someone who does receive the PDFs to grade them, it can sometimes be challenging. The premium notebook for each lesson is a different type of link. With this link, you would need a book widgets account. It could be part of your 30 free 30-day trial, or it could be on a paid subscription. But upon opening this link, you'll be prompted to copy the worksheet into your account. This is similar to when someone shares a Google Doc or a sheet with you to use as your own and administer. Like I know in many of my lessons, if I have all of the students or student groups contributing to a spreadsheet, I usually share that spreadsheet with you. And that's never an actual spreadsheet file. When you open it, it's just a black screen. Google says you can only click make a copy. That's basically what you're doing here. Once it's in your account on Book Widgets, you can add questions. You can remove questions. You can change the text if you don't like how I worded something. Teachers with the premium notebook can adjust settings so students can or cannot see correct answers as they're completed, like I talked about before. They can or cannot highlight text within the notebook if you're concerned about searching answers on the web. They could password protect answer keys and even adjust answer keys. I mean, I know that this software is largely used by some people for test purposes. So there's... um. A huge security feature in there as well. I do not probably use the full extent of the tools that they offer. In fact, if, if the free trial is worth anything, it's for you to see the utility. And, and so again, I'd encourage you to download that free premium digital interactive notebook on isotopes from either of my stores, TPT or on my website, to be able to just see how I have it set up and poke into the general area and see all of the options that you have and the control that you have as a teacher in doing that. Because even if you're not interested in editing another person's work, you can still receive student responses electronically. And game changer, you can see their work in real time using these worksheets if you also use Google Classroom and integrate book widgets that way. This, my friends, is something I don't know how to do quite yet, but something I'll be likely relying on myself this year. 
If you've poked around my website or my community at all, you might have noticed that I went on bragging about this amazing virtual meeting software my school uses that allows students to move to individual breakout rooms and draw and write and manipulate everything on the slides themselves. I was feeling so, so spoiled when the world went to Zoom learning because I was like, aha, I have superior software. My school is rocking it. Well, guess what? That feature has been eliminated this year in favor of another program that is more Zoom-like in its abilities. So rather than reinvent the wheel and the entire way I prepare my lessons and all the nuances of this new software, I plan to make these digital interactive notebooks a requirement for, my, for participation in my class for every student. Now, whether you're asynchronous or you're coming to me, you're meeting with me live, because I have that live feature. I know, I have to set up a Google Classroom so that I can make it work, but I'll still be able to capture snapshots of student responses, which is key to my execution of these lessons, from which the entire class can benefit. Whether the answers are right or wrong, the observations are good or bad, we don't, we don't do that in my class. It's not good or bad. It's science, so there is a right and a wrong, but we can learn from all of it. And... We can use all of those as prompts for further discussion. So as long as I can see what they've done, pretty or unpretty, I'm fulfilling my job, my my task, my duty. I'll update you on those outcomes once I work through all the bugs that will inevitably crawl out of what seems like a perfect solution because there's always some bugs, right? Some of you might be expert exterminators. It takes me a little while. In the show notes for this episode, I've included my affiliate link to Book Widgets. So in whatever player you are listening to, you can scroll down in the episode and see like a little blurb, a little description of this episode, uh, even maybe on the website. And then the affiliate link is in there. When you use the affiliate link to purchase a subscription, I do earn a small portion of that subscription. However, I really truly want you to know that I'm an affiliate because I've created an entire product line with this software and I believe in it wholeheartedly. I'm happy to educate teachers about it and even help them troubleshoot it. So should you decide to sign up, know that they also have a really great customer service team. They've always been super quick about responding to me with anything And in working with some other teachers who've opted to adopt Book Widgets as their virtual learning partner, I've heard much of the same. One of my customers last year even convinced his school leadership to purchase a school-wide license. Maybe I'll invite him onto the podcast sometime to tell us about how Book Widgets helped save his 2020 teaching plan. For now, though, I'm going to sign off. Hey, hey, I almost forgot. I have just recently made myself a presence on Pinterest. So if you love to pin your life away like I do with all the DIY home renovation boards, right now we're eyeing up pools. We love a pool at our house, especially since vacation hasn't happened for us this year or last year. (laughs) Like, bring on a pool. Uh, Anyway, follow me there or even suggest my profile to a friend. This is about changing the perspective of the science teaching community and certainly instilling some super great principles for those newbie teachers. So just search for Lab in Every Lesson or by my name, Lisa Carosas, K-A-R-O-S-A-S. Also, 
please send me your questions if you have any via email, lisa at labineverylesson.com or in our free community at community.labineverylesson.com. I would love to do a question and answer episode for everyone, but to do that, I do need questions to answer. Meanwhile, I'll consider the sound of crickets a good thing. Actually, they were so amazing the night we slept out in the backyard. That was a much, much needed experience. We aren't much campers, but maybe, maybe we're getting there. The backyard was a good first start. Enjoy your final days of summer, everyone, or your first days of school. Catch you back here next week.